This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Outside the box. Welcome to November's Outside the Box. We've just been having a really wonderful off-mic chat, which included the chances of a nuclear war and Matt Hancock. I don't know which I prefer. <laughs> Hello, Mickey. Hello. Hello. It's not, it's not a chipper chat before we have a natter about the telly, is it? Why is Matt Hancock on our tellies? Get Hat Mancock off our tellies now. And also sporting a thousand yards to hair, Jen Offer. <laughs> Hello, I'm actually quite tickled by the conversation we've just had. Feeling quite chipper about. Tell me again how you feel about Ed Sheeran, Jen. I love him. I love him. <laughs> I don't know why I'm laughing. I've not seen a single. I don't love second. him. Just by okay. the way, I was uh, I was quoting Hat Mancock. I don't love Ed Sheeran. For the record. Well, I actually do have some other things to be cheery about. Good. Could I open with the news. Starting on the 22nd of November. November. <laughs> I'm, I'm cheery about this. This is oh, excellent. Dear. And then is it December and then January? Things to look forward to. 22nd of November. Season two of Upright. Finally. Finally. Yeah. Now, I have seen a couple of them on the preview service, but I'm going to keep my... My thoughts to myself until you've seen some. Okay, this is rude that you've not even mentioned this to me before today on air. Consider I only yourself discovered chastised. this at about nine o'clock last night. Yeah, and you've already watched two episodes. Two episodes, you've yeah. Got a phone They're only time. half an hour long, aren't they? Yeah. But we'll talk about that later. Also, do you remember when I comfortably predicted that Staged had painted itself into such a box that it couldn't have a series three? Were you incorrect? Well, series three starts on Britbox <laughs> on the 24th of November. We'll wait and see what premise they managed to make it squeeze into now, because obviously it was first time it was shot over Zoom in lockdown. Um, and then uh, this is less exciting for me, but other people may may be excited. Although I guess they're already watching it. Season five of The Handmaid's Tale has started on Channel Four since we last did something. I have long since given up on The Handmaid's Tale. Me too. Offred just became sort of torture porn. Wounded yeah. legs running. Why did she keep going back? Didn't understand it. Yeah, agreed. So, let's talk about what we have seen, which is, for me, 100% drama. I'm really sorry, I have no comedies, I have no documentaries to talk about, just drama, 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 drama. Me too, Sars. It happens. Yeah, great. Where should we start then? Let's start with another series two coming back of something that had a very good series one, and everyone was very excited about its return. White Lotus is back. On Sky and now TV, Mike White and his team stormed the Emmys this year. The acting talent has changed with the exception of Jennifer Coolidge, who still plays Tanya, (laughs) who is now married to a character played by John Grease. And I finally, finally worked out where I recognised him from. I specifically didn't Google. He was one of those people. Do you remember when I decided to spend three years trying to work out who Matt Frewer was when I could have Googled it in 20 seconds? (laughs) Where's the fun in that? Where's the fun in just Googling? Yeah. He's Uncle Rico in Napoleon Dynamite. Does he still look the same? Yeah, mostly, actually, apart from he's old now. Mm -hmm. But there you have it. And it just made me think of him throwing that steak. And laughing and laughing and laughing. Okay. Do you think at some point he's going to shout, Tanya, get some ham? (laughs) (laughs) 
seven episodes in this one, so one extra. This one is set in Sicily. It's very much the American view of Sicily, I would say, rather than a European view of Sicily, which is, you know, it's just part of Italy. It is infused with that sort of Italian-American ideal Mm -hmm. of what Sicily is, which is obviously linked to the Mafia. So obviously they've cast Michael Imperioli, who was... Christopher in The Sopranos. He is one of three generations of men on holiday together. His dad, his very farty dad, is played by F. Murray (laughs) Abraham and his son, Albie. If the last series was about race and sort of racial dynamics and cultural appropriation and things like that, I think this one is about the battle of the sexes, as it were. The three of them's attitude to women as it goes down during the generations. Also on holiday are two couples, one who are recently rich. The woman in that couple is played by Aubrey Plaza. There's some good stuff, I think, going on in that storyline. Jennifer Coolidge continues to just make me laugh, 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 laugh. There's a great bit where she walks out onto this beautiful balcony and says... Such a beautiful view. I wonder if anyone has ever jumped from here. (laughs) She's just so delightfully mad watching her choke on a fly when she was on a Vespa was beautiful. So I think the quality continues. It's so rich. You know, it's so beautiful to look at. It's shot so beautifully and it makes me laugh. There are more subtitles because obviously big parts of it are in Italian and that might put some people off. But Mickey, I know... That you don't agree with me. Well, I've watched three episodes now because the third one aired on Monday and we're recording this on Wednesday. And episodes one and two, I was like, well, this isn't as fun as the original White Lotus. And while it is still incredibly, impeccably written and the performances are across the board astonishing, for me it was really missing Murray Bartlett. And the Armand character, and obviously he can't come back because, spoiler, he dies in the first series. But it was more that energy and the focus on the staff. And I felt that there was much more light in the first series, as much as it is very, very dark. I felt that there was much more light. And as much as these one percenters are distinctly unlikable, there were ways to feel sympathetic towards them, particularly Tanya, who is Jennifer Coolidge's character, but I just I just don't like anyone in this. There's no one that I feel any kind of sympathy for. But I've got to say, episode three sort of turned it around a little bit for me. I got much more into it. It was definitely the strongest one so far, in my opinion. I love Michael Imperioli. I'm keen to, to watch him do his stuff. He's just He's just such a great actor. But like I say, it is across the board brilliantly performed. You did mention there that it's it's about sexual politics and part of me is like, oh, brilliant and written by a man and that is really showing for me. I'm just like, yeah, we've got the prostitutes. We've also got like a discussion about what feminism means between three men. I don't know that I need to listen to that, to be honest with you. So I'm interested to see where it'll go because that's the thing with the White Lotus with Mike White. It will develop. And I am absolutely not just writing it off. I'm definitely going to stick with it. Not least because as with the White Lotus Mark One, we start with a mystery death. There's a body floating in the ocean. Turns out that there are more bodies floating in the ocean. And then that's just put aside and we can't concentrate on the characters. And I mm. do feel like I'm getting more interested in these characters now. But it, it was quite a long warm up given it's only a seven episode. Yeah. I mean, I can see your point. I think Mike White said this is explicitly, this was 
more about its female characters than it was about its male characters. But I actually think it, I mean, it understands men quite well. Yeah, I'm not really surprised it understands men quite well. (laughs) But I mean, it deals with men in quite an honest fashion. I don't think it's trying to defend behaviour of men. For me, the first one, where it really works is its ability to to draw a really fine line. You could either look at it that everybody's right or nobody's right. You know, there were arguments that were going on between the children and the the parents, you know, with the Connie Britton's storyline that you just thought, I can see where they're both coming from, but I can see why they will never agree. Mm -hmm. And I think... I have confidence that this is going somewhere in the same way, in that it doesn't invite you to have sympathy with these people because they are dreadful people, but it does show them to have at least some level of sort of texture behind. I thought the scene where the two women of the couples end up staying in that that villa, unplanned, yeah, that palazzo, which I would have been livid about if that had somebody had done that to me, just, you know, changed my plans on my holiday. I actually thought the sort of odd getting to know you that they did around why they would accept infidelity I I thought it was pretty well handled actually that was episode three and like I say I think it really picked up its game for me in episode three Hmm. yeah and like they are both excellent and yeah I would also be livid if someone hijacked my holiday she basically kidnaps her but (laughs) you know yeah I'm interested will we ever find out why Harper is such an arsehole I don't know she just seems to be an (laughs) arsehole for the sake of being a bit of an arsehole I've not found, like, so with Tanya in the first one, when she was upset, like, and obviously no one cries like Jennifer Coolidge. It's one of the funniest things you've ever seen. And I do feel like Mike White's gone, oh, that is funny. We're going to use that. And, you know, absolutely, Mike, right decision. I did a double thumbs up there, just if anyone thought I was cool. I'm not. Absolutely the right decision. But I'm not sad for her. Because she's she was always like very entitled, but she's yeah. she's a bit more of an arsehole in this as well. She is an arsehole. She's an arsehole to her assistant. Her assistant is suffering from sort of a Paris syndrome, which is quite interesting as well. That thing where it's particularly prevalent apparently in Japanese people that they go to Paris and they're really dis- crushingly disappointed by it. <laughs> I was talking and, about uh, this it... just the other day. Yeah, mm, and then yeah. they they get really quite ill with being disappointed in Paris and have to, like, be flown home for medical treatment. What? Is this a real thing? This is a real thing, Jen. Look up Paris Syndrome. And it's like Japanese people get so excited about going to Paris. Not, I mean, obviously this is a sweeping generalisation, but some get so excited that all it could ever do is disappoint and then they are medically disappointed. Like, more so than they are about going anywhere else. Because like Paris so. is all right, but I've I've been to nicer places. <laughs> like it's it's okay. Wow. Well, yeah, it's a, it's a real thing. Yeah, Porsche is an interesting character as well, and and Albie. I'm finding Albie, who is the youngest of our Italian American trio, and I think they do very well represent the stages of men and how they deal mm. with women. Mm. But I find Albie as problematic as his granddad. Uh, absolutely, and absolutely. As his dad Don. Because he is like this whole, oh, I am a feminist and I believe this, this and this. And actually, he comes across as massively incel when he tells Portia that he seems to just fall for pretty wounded birds. I wanted to punch the screen. Like, go, just go back to your room and have a wank, mate, and leave her alone. Yeah, yeah. I mean, agreed. She clearly wants to shag the cute guy in the swimming pool. <laughs> because yeah. who knows what passes for the minds of women in their early 20s. And I say that as someone who's been one. But his line of, I'm a really nice guy, 
but it doesn't do me any favours. And it's like, well, you, are you being nice because you want favours? Like, you can be nice or you can be horrible. You're still not owed a woman sleeping with you. Get in the bin. Actually, get in the yeah. sea because it's just there. Yeah, like I say, I think it's really well done. I think to actually sort of gauge where they all are in their development as men through the prism of how they view the Godfather was really well done as well. I think the other thing that bothered me is there's a lot of... And I, and I know it's, it is representative of the real world. And like I say, the writing is really sharp. It, it is excellent. And it's sort of, I feel a bit sorry for it because maybe the first one was just so incredible mm. and I loved it so much. And particularly Murray Bartlett's performance that I've got a bit Paris syndrome. And I'm like, oh. Yeah. But there are so many pervy old men trying it on with young women and young women just go in with it. And it just, oh, and I know when it's money involved, that is a, it is a trope and it's a trope because it exists. But I'm so sick of seeing it. Yeah. I'm shrugging, which is also excellent for a podcast. Yeah. Well, we'll check in again next month to decide whether it paid off in the end. Yes? Mm, definitely. Okay. Can I make a confession, Hannah? Yeah. Even though I said I would stick with it to the end, I have given up. On the old man. Oh, yeah. I mean, I only watched it because cause I wanted to be proved right. <laughs> <laughs> well, because yeah. we had a little chat and I guessed the same as you, where we proved right. Yeah. Oh, OK. Yeah. Now I've got some other things to talk about and I don't know how to group them. We can either do them things that are on the BBC or things that have got Dominic West in or how do you fancy <laughs> grouping them or things by people I don't usually like, but I didn't think were that dreadful. Well, I mean, you've gonna... really sold that last category. Hannah. Maybe we should start there. <laughs> Okay. In that case, let's start with the English, which is Hugo Blick, six parts. It's on the iPlayer. I think it was originally an Amazon production, although why it's not on Amazon. Maybe it was a co-Amazon BBC production. Anyway, it's on the BBC and you can see them all now or it is playing week by week, depending on how you want to consume your television. It is a Western. I've talked about Hugo Blick before. I don't, he doesn't really do much for me. I think he's a bit overrated. Maybe he's brilliant, but he just doesn't really do it for me. I thought the shadow line was a lot of stuff and nonsense. Uh, I found on The Honourable Woman really impenetrable. And I don't know what it was with Black Earth Rising. It just didn't do it for me, which is something because it's got Michaela Cole and John Goodman in it. I mean, wowzers. Anyway. I like the idea that The Honourable Woman was really impenetrable. I think that's probably part of her <laughs> part of <a> thing. <laughs> Yeah, bad choice of words. So, <laughs> Great uh, Jen, words. do you remember when, when you asked me where a Western was? Yeah. And the date that I put at the end of it was 1890, which when Wounded Knee was. This is set in 1890, which should perhaps give you an idea of it's sort of about the end. That's the sort of general theme is things coming to an end. Stars Emily Blunt as a posh English woman who has arrived in America after the death of her child. It's a bit vague, and that is the point. In order to becomes clear over the course of events, she encounters a Native American who is a former scout for the U.S. Army and at this point is still wearing his army uniform, who is played by Chasky Spencer. And of course, that puts him in a controversial position because, you know, is he accepted really by either side now he's done that? Mm -hmm. And together they embark on a perilous journey across the West. Do you remember how I plugged this to you the first time, Mickey? No, encountering a number of high quality actors <laughs> along yeah. the way and has that turned up to be true oh absolutely toby jones kieran hines rafe spall who is absolutely fucking magnificent in this he is disgusting he makes me want to vomit in this which it says something for someone who is such a beautiful man he's just repulsive in this it's an absolutely brilliant job by him 
Emily Blunt is also terrific and so is Chesky Spencer. So, great performances. Some things are a bit off. A lot of it's filmed in Spain and it just doesn't feel quite Wild West enough for me Mm -hmm. to look at. And the dialogue, it's not bad, but it clangs in parts. There are a couple of words that feel quite modern that are in there. And it's also a bit of a lost opportunity dialogue-wise because one of the best things about Westerns is that beautiful sing-song fashion in which everybody speaks and that really isn't on show here. But for the most part, I would say best Hugo Blick yet for me. It's well worth a watch. I've read good things about it. Yeah. I mean, you will always read good things about his stuff, but I just don't always agree. (laughs) I mean, it's it's a good drama, so it's it's also a good West. Is Rafe Spall channeling his David Thewlis? Oh, yeah. I mean, it's just skin-crawlingly awful. Mm. Yeah. Sold. (laughs) (laughs) Why not? Exactly that. Okay. Let's talk about somebody else's stuff who I generally don't like, but I didn't think this was too bad. The Devil's Hour, which you've watched too, Jen. I've watched four episodes of it, yes. Okay, it's a single drama on Amazon. I believe there are six episodes and it comes from the stable of Stephen Moffat, Mm. who, as you all know, I don't really like his stuff. I'm sure it's quite good. Last time I watched anything that was to do with Stephen Moffat was that drama that I watched 10 minutes of and then went, oh, fuck off, and turned it off. So, (laughs) written by Tom Moran, who hasn't got a huge amount of writing credits, but does have among them an episode of that ITV drama that had Rob Lowe working in Lincolnshire for the police. Oh, what was that? Have you never seen, have you never heard of that? How have we not had this conversation? It's bonkers that exists. It's the maddest thing that exists. I actually watched an episode of it because I didn't actually believe it existed until (laughs) it was like, I know this is a really elaborate, like a really elaborate scam being pulled on the British public. This will not exist, but it did. I feel like I should know about it because Rob Lowe and I share a birthday. So you'd think the universe would have, you know, tickled my antennas. Anyway, back to the devil's hour. Plot wise, and brace yourself, there's not a lot of, logical plot because it goes a bit what I believe the the Doctor Who fans call timey-wimey so it starts (laughs) to sort of lose it there a bit. Stars Jessica Rain as a social worker who somehow gets embroiled in an investigation of uh, what they believe to be a, a serial killer functioning in her local area. She is a single mum having split up from her partner because they have a child that uh, is non-communicative, non-specifically non-communicative, but non-communicative nonetheless, and apparently can see certain things. Let's just say her spooky child, they've, they've split <laughs> up. And then she gets sort of dragged into this this thing. And also, at the same time, we see her sort of interviewing Peter Capaldi. And you could probably even work out from that description what's going on in this but good people Mira Sayal the magnificent Alec Ferns Nikesh Patel who's really good in this it is daft and I don't know what message it's trying to send out about children who are non-communicative but I don't know that's necessarily a good one but if you like things that are creepy as fuck you will like this because this is creepy as fuck and it's really well done it is full of, oh, I don't know what's happening. This makes this is making me a bit nervous. So, Jen, how yeah, did you get on Jen, with Jen, I'm intrigued. Well, I've, yeah, I've watched, I've watched four out of the six episodes and I will probably watch it to its conclusion just because I want to know what the fuck is going on. But 
It's fine. It is creepy, but my overwhelming emotion when watching is, it is that I'm just frustrated because it's too complicated. There's too many different strands, which I'm sure they're now going to resolve, like pull them all together in the last two episodes. But there's too <laughs> oh, there's too many different strands, and it's frustrating because you're like, what, 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 what? What's that got to do with that? Huh? And it's it's just it's too much, and I also feel like I've been tricked into watching science fiction. Right, I'm not really interested in science fiction, and I feel like this was sold who to me. Who are we going to take this up with? Hmm. Dear Stephen Moffat, <laughs> angry of yeah. Essex. I'm sure he would write back and suggest it's his oeuvre. Sure, but like I wasn't really paying attention to that, and I don't feel like it was necessarily. I feel like it was marketed as sort of like, you know, creepy thriller kind of whatever. Right, yeah, yeah, fair enough. It clearly, like, he's a fucking Time Lord, isn't he, or some shit. Like, and, and I'm just like, well, I'd watch Doctor Who. Spoiler alert. If I wanted to watch someone gallivanting around like a Time Lord, as Peter Capaldi has indeed in the past. I don't know, I feel like I've been tricked into watching science fiction. That's about it, really. I don't have much more to say about it to be honest it's all right i'll probably watch it out of curiosity but is that a hard recommend (laughs) no no it's not no would it it benefit from rafe spall being skin crawlingly disgusting (laughs) no i don't know i think um your man alex fern is it's nice seeing him in something because i didn't watch chernobyl so the last with his clothes on certainly the the last thing i saw him in was uh the batman very briefly as previously discussed so yeah i've not seen him in anything for a while so that's nice to see i think there's a good cast that's that's probably the the best i can i can give you (laughs) fair enough okay let's take a break and we'll be back with a festival of dominic west surprisingly what a festival i know we've all pulled the same face sorry guys we're skin crawlingly repulsive rape spool when you need him (laughs) okay welcome back jen season five of the crown has arrived yes it has yes it has i've actually watched some of it the crown is one of those things that i keep saying i'm not gonna watch and then i always end up doing it because i'm morbidly fascinated just one thing I wanted to say at the mm-hmm. top. Originally, the, the Crown was going to be six series, and then they made a big fuss about saying they cropped it short to five series. I only learned when this came out that they've actually gone back up to six series yeah. again. So this wasn't the end, the end. No, I think I think it's... Yeah, I didn't know that they'd cut it to five. I haven't watched the whole of this series, by the way. I'm Again, I'm back right. to episode four. So but just you... to pre-warn people who may not have heard that news that it'd gone back up to six. Okay. This isn't the end, the end. This is just season five. There will be a season six. Do you think that's because she's died? And so they're like, oh, we can do all the stuff that we couldn't do while she was still alive. No, I think it's because they wanted to spend absolutely fucking ages on Princess Diana. Mm. And then they realised they didn't have enough time to fit the rest in. But that's my opinion. Over to you, Jen. Okay, so The Crown is back for season five and with a brand new queen stepping into the shoes of Olivia Coleman and before her Claire Foy we have Imelda Staunton Jonathan Price is her Philippe and Dominic West and Elizabeth Debicki become Charles and Diana Leslie Manville takes on Princess Margaret and as you will no doubt have seen Johnny Lee Miller becomes Hot John Major <laughs> what <laughs> though, though... Edwina Curry's having a lovely time <laughs> 
even more alarmingly to my 15-year-old self because this is a truly harrowing transformation for anyone who came of age in the 90s. He's actually hotter as John Major than he is in real life now. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, that's quite well known as the John Major effect. <laughs> right. So there are lots of other people in it, but I am only four episodes into dear old Liz's Annus Horribilis, so I've not met the likes of Tony Blair or Martin Bashir yet. So I don't know. I, I don't know what's coming there. A lot has been said about this, and in fact, we've said a lot of it before on this very podcast. Judy Dench has spoken out about it. John Major says it's a load of old cods wallop, as does Tony Blair, and we know because they make absolutely no secret of it. It is a fictional account of what might have happened within the parameters of some historical fact, right? Mm-hmm. So that's not, you know, that's that's not hidden anywhere. But I do find that to be a bit of a moral dilemma. It is so watchable, but there are, of course, real people's lives, very messy, controversial and damaged lives involved in this. And I think particularly given that a lot of the content of this programme is about sort of basically how the family, how being part of the family must be at odds between their personal and private lives. This show treats them as if they are somehow like immune to that in the real world. Do you know what I mean? Like it doesn't seem to have any respect for the fact that there are actually real people who are alive involved in this and I do think it's kind of irresponsible but that said I do really enjoy watching it in the same way that I enjoy watching soap operas and Made in Chelsea it is absolute trash (laughs) but as I very freely admit very often on this podcast I'm not above that so I think like I'm enjoying it it is enjoyable to watch but I do think and not because the Queen has died I just think a lot of it is quite irresponsible I don't know. How do you feel about that, Hannah? I get what you're saying, and I, I, I sort of agree because I think it's very difficult to show the media and be critical of the media whilst indulging in an act of exactly what the media was doing itself. Yeah. And in fact, it doesn't really criticise the media that much. I think exactly because you can't tell other voyeurs off, yeah. you know, while you're also peering with binoculars at someone on their holiday think about the depiction of diana because i think they have depicted her to be a real pain in the ass (laughs) my major problem with this is i didn't give a fuck about princess diana and charles's divorce when i lived through it and i certainly don't have any interest in watching it again i agree with all your criticisms about the crown in general you know that it's trash history and that for some reason everyone seems to think it's a documentary hot take twitter the day after the crown has dropped is just my God, it's always yeah. really terrible. I just think it's boring. At least the old one had like events, had things, things that were happening, you know. Yeah. You know, major historical events were happening. Whether or not they were being depicted accurately is a different thing, but it's quite enjoyable to imagine a hypothetical conversation between the Queen and Harold Wilson or the Queen and Margaret Thatcher. And I think the John Major stuff's better. I have no interest in Charles and Diana's marriage, none whatsoever. Do you think that it isn't as compelling to you because it's history that we did live through. I love that you said. I love that you said you were bothered. You didn't give a fuck about Charles and Diana's divorce when you lived through it, which made you sound like you were one of their children, and I enjoyed that a lot. <laughs> 
Because no, because like, well, you kind of made to feel it, weren't you? Because <laughs> actually, that's the opposite. I love stuff about the troubles. I love stuff about you know the AIDS crisis. I love stuff about stuff that's happened when I was alive. The minor strike, the war in former Yugoslavia. That stuff actually is stuff that I enjoy because it shows you a different angle. I just think it's just she's shown as being like incredibly just one note and an absolute victim who is like just pushed around by this family and I think that does her injustice and I say that as someone who wasn't a huge fan of hers I think to show her as just this incredibly fragile person who had no agency in their own life I think she had agency I think she made decisions and I think this is pretty unfair to her I mean, Prince Charles, I don't know. Dominic West seems perfect for for that role because he is that mix of, you know, posh, charming and utterly repulsive. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it works pretty well. I think they do show her as having agency to a certain extent. Like, you're, you're right, because, you know, there are choices that, that can be made and indeed were. But, like, I think they show her as being quite manipulative, so this, you know, this thing about the book that, and I, I don't remember anything about that book. I was probably too young to. I remember the there being an interview. I remember the panorama. This is Andrew Morton's book. I remember that the book came out. Like I remember the the sleeve of the book. Like I recognise it, but I don't remember the furore around it at the time because I think I was about nine years old and I just wouldn't have given a fuck um, or understood a lot of it. But I think that they paint her as being really manipulative and a real pain in everyone's ass. Like, you're watching it and you're just a bit like, oh, yeah, those ideas... <laughs> the, the conspiracy theories about her, like, suddenly you're like, oh, right, I can see why people <laughs> had those conspiracy theories. Like, I would say further on, because I've clearly watched further on than you, because I have seen the Martin oh, Bashir okay, stuff. yeah, yeah. She's portrayed as being, you know, really hoodwinked into doing that interview with Martin Bashir. But she was, wasn't she? Well, yes, as in, yes, she was. But, but that's just another example mm. of a man coming in and telling and moving her life around. That's how it plays mm. it. If she hadn't done that interview, I think she inevitably would have done an interview. It just wouldn't have been with Martin Bashir. That's what I'm saying. He tricked her into that interview. But what she said in it was very much her own choice. I don't know. And you could tell it was her own choice because you could tell how, how it was stage managed. You could tell how she moved her head. I think she was a master at that sort of stuff and it shows her as being an absolute, you know, yeah. just just weak person. And I, I just, I, I can't believe I'm saying this because I have no interest in her whatsoever. I have no interest in, in that whole part of it. Like I say, some of these series have spanned decades and this is like really, just really intensively mm. over and over and over again on the same stuff. And it's pretty dull. I mean, actually, just to mention other stuff that goes on in it, I think Leslie Manville makes Princess Margaret about the most sympathetic she's been since back in the first one when Vanessa Kirby did it. I love so I Manville definite, and I love her in this. I think it's a definite improvement. Yeah. And, but what I will say is I think Jonathan Price, Imelda Staunton and Manville, great though I think all the three of them are, their attention to detail on things like accent is nowhere near as intense as it was like in the first one. They just seem to talk a bit more normally and mm. I just don't think, you know... And I suppose you could say that they might develop in how they talk, but I don't think they have developed in how they talk. No. Because we, they live in a fucking bubble. So, yeah, I feel like the attention to details off a bit as well. Just on the Diana thing, just because uh, I find it interesting, um, although not not that interesting, so we'll, we'll move on. But Alistair Campbell describes her in his diaries as being incredibly savvy and smart 
and completely knowing what she's doing in terms of like the meetings she's having with people and the stuff that she's mm. doing. So I think you're right about, you know, the, the point about agency and stuff. So I probably just completely contradicted what I just said. But um, but yeah, I only heard the bit where you said you were right, Jen. <laughs> <laughs> OK, the last thing on my list today is, well, it's the maddest, I think. SAS Rogue Heroes. <laughs> <laughs> Which is I'm Andy McNabb. I'm Andy McNabb. I'm Andy McDowell. Shit. Doesn't that name just scream that? The name is just appalling. It's from the name of the book that it's based on, which is by the British historian Ben McIntyre, which is like about the foundation of the SAS during the African portion of the Second World War. So you'd think it's actually something that I would be interested in, right? Maybe, yeah. Mm-hmm. It does sound a bit tanks, tanks, tanks. But I'm not always averse to that. So, wait, it's by Stephen Knight, who wrote Peaky Blinders, which is something I didn't really get on with. The charms entirely passed me by. So, of course, it's not going to be sort of Alan Partridge, tanks, tanks, tanks. It's going to be what it is. I described it to when I was talking to my friend Paul about it, that it was like reading a lad's mag on a stag zoo to a central European capital city <laughs> was the general sense of it. It's really, really 90s. I can't tell you how 90s it feels. It's that sort of glorification of things that are actually terrible, you know, terrible, terrible things that that I would associate with people that read books by East End gangsters. You know, okay. it's it's got that sort of Damning. air about it. <laughs> Absolutely brutal, huh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anyway, it stars Connor Swindells. Now, I don't know who he is, but I do know he's from a Netflix drama. Mickey, is he from, like, Sex Education or something like that? I'd have to Google him, but I can okay. do that. You know, we've discussed this before. <laughs> Just cut it out this time. Stop showing behind the curtain. Connor Swindells is from Sex Education, and he is actually one of my favourite characters in terms of development and acting in sex education. There we go. Alfie Allen. We all know who Alfie Allen is, right? Yep. Yes. Lily Allen's brother. Yes. And Jack O'Connell. Is he from the... Skins. He was in originally, wasn't he, Jack O'Connell? And Mickey, you will recognise him from Godless. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. And I mean, like three years ago, though. So they play these three lads, 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 who start the SAS, basically, in the desert. Sorry, when Hannah was doing that, she punched her microphone to really ram home the point. Um, so they're off doing lads, lads, lads things and drinking and, you know, being lads and conducting raids on Nazi air bases and starting the SAS. Lads, absolute lads. Uh, so it does have some funny lines in it. It's mostly at French people's expenses. There's a bit where someone raises a French flag and they say, why have you done that? And the other one goes... I thought the French flag was just white, which is obviously quite funny um, in context of jokes men made about the French in the war. But for the most part, I don't even know what to say about this. I love Jack O'Connell, so I watched it, but maybe other people don't. So maybe don't. It is a bit mad. <laughs> Anybody got anything else to talk about? What, what a note to end on. <laughs> yeah, we can't just end on that note. Mickey, OK, so you're both rewatching Buffy. Someone tell me about what, how that's going. Oh, I've I've not progressed in my watching of Buffy because I actually decided to watch 
some stuff for this instead, Hannah. So, so it's over to you, Good Mick. Girl. I mean, I did watch some stuff for this as well, just The White Lotus. I'm on season three of Buffy and the writing's cracking. It's very funny. She's brilliant. Willow's brilliant. But it is not the feminist show that we were all sold. And that is like so clear to me now. It is so male gazy. Joss Whedon, as I said in a previous podcast, is blatantly Xander. And he's just ha- just sort of hiding there in plain sight the whole time. It's yeah, and it's it's interesting to watch it again through older eyes once my light bulb has gone on, so to speak. And there's still a hell of a lot to love about Buffy the Vampire Slayer, but it is yeah, it's, it's deeply flawed as well, and absolutely not a feminist show. That's disappointing. <laughs> yeah, should we go back to talking about Matt Hancock and impending <laughs> war? I think we should just go back to the nineties, lads, 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 lads. lads. Tanks, tanks, tanks. (laughs) Outside the box.